You're listening to the Goal Line Stand Podcast with Jackson Caudell and Kobe Reed, where we break down all things college football, including breaking news, recruiting, gameplay, and more. Let's get straight to it. Welcome back to another edition of the Goal Line Stand Podcast. February signing day edition on the first day of February. This is Jackson Caldwell. That is Kobe Reed. Kobe, how you doing, man? We're almost a full month removed from the final whistle being blown. So uh, I've finally gone through my withdrawals a little bit. It's been very tough to adjust, not having nothing to do on Saturdays. But keeping up with recruiting, we got transfers going on everywhere. Coaching job searches, it's all keeping us busy and entertained. So it's going good so far. You know, we used to, you know, when the national title ended, we used to be like, oh, just a few weeks till signing day. And then you just a barrage of news. Early signing period has kind of killed that. Like today, you had uh, Jaden Rashada signing with or committing to Arizona State. I'm not quite sure if he signed. And then Nicholas Harbor committing to South Carolina, which is just a, a massive win for Shane Beamer. I thought he was trending towards Oregon there for a little bit, but. They get one of the – I don't know how – like, I wouldn't say he's a good football player right now. He might be the freakiest athlete in the entire 2023 class. He's just got to improve as a player overall. But those are two big gets today. And five-star tight end Deuce Robinson not signing today. Um, There's a lot going on there. So we're going to be breaking down the ACC schedule that was just released in a full two-hour special that I sat through all because I had to on Monday night. And yes, they 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 really took two hours to reveal that schedule, but we're gonna be breaking that down. Um first year coaching grades are finally here. You know, we had to kind of let the dust settle a little bit. We had news coming in and out. So but we're gonna give our thoughts on that as well. But I guess, you know, you know, me being a Georgia Tech reporter and everything, let's start with the the schedule for Georgia Tech because I assume – so, look, when you look at the overall opening week schedule in college football, it's kind of light compared to usual. You have the Florida State LSU game, which is going to be massive, but that's on a Sunday. That's been known. There had been no scheduled Labor Day games yet. Um, there's Utah and Florida is a big game. I, I don't know what they're going to do with that. So, I thought because it's the Chick-fil-A kickoff, I thought something was going to happen with Georgia Tech-Louisville. Personally, I thought it was going to go to Labor Day. But it's going to be played on Friday. It's going to be on the uh, opening Friday before the first Saturday of the college football season, or I guess after week zero, I should say. I, I'm still getting used to the week zero thing, believe it or not. But that's going to be, you know, Brent Key's first game is the full-time head coach and Jeff Brom returning. Like Two guys at their alma maters playing each other in the first game at their schools in 2023. That's going to be uh, That's going to be a tone setter one way or the other. That that game has been scheduled. We knew that was going to be the opening weekend game. Week two, they have a home game against South Carolina State. I don't need to say anything there. That should be a win. Week three, we knew they were going to be traveling to Ole Miss to Oxford. That's going to be tough. Like that, just the Ole Miss has done a really good job in the portal. Got Lane Kiffin as a coach. Oxford's a tough place to play. The, then from here on out, outside of the Bowling Green game and the Georgia game, we really didn't know much. Uh, week four, September 23rd, they go to Wake Forest and what I think could be like maybe the most pivotal game of the season if they take care of business elsewhere. You know, Wake Forest losing Hartman, losing A.T. Perry. It's on the road, but I, I'm I'm really interested to see what Wake Forest is this year. They follow that up by a home game with Bowling Green. Again, that should be a win. Um, and then they follow it with a road game to Miami before they hit the break. So, like, I guess kind of – what are your first early impressions of that first half of the schedule? Because, you know, a couple jump out to you, like tough road trips to Ole Miss and Miami. But, I mean, I think a chance to really, like, I think, you know, best case scenario, you're three and two or four and one heading in September. I mean, you should have two wins against South Carolina and Bowling Green. And if you could find find some way to take two of three between Louisville, um, Ole Miss, and, and Wake Forest, I think that'd be successful. Yeah, just at first glance – I really think if Georgia Tech can get past that Wake Forest game, I think it really sets them up moving forward because Wake Forest, they're going to have a very tough stretch right after that Georgia Tech game. If Georgia Tech can, I I would assume right now Wake Forest would be favored. Um, but if Georgia Tech can kick, can kick that off, Wake Forest would have to go and play Clemson, Virginia Tech, 
Pitt, Florida State, and Duke, and then NC State and Notre Dame. That's going to be a tough stretch for them. If Georgia Tech can get a can get an upset going in for Wake Forest from Wake Forest going into that, I feel like that will set up Georgia Tech very very well. Um, I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway for me for this Georgia Tech schedule, you got to get this win against Miami. I don't know what Miami's going to be next year. I think Mario Cristobal, he's got his first year growing pains out. Um, but with that being said, I don't think Miami has an identity. If Georgia Tech can pull off a win against Miami, I think that'll be huge, especially for Brent, Brent Key's first year as a full-fledged head coach. I think that'd be a statement. I think that'd be a statement win for this season. Um, but I do expect Georgia Tech to have a lot more success this coming year than they did last year. Cause anytime you change coaches middle of the year, it's going to be hard. But if they can have the intensity they had those first couple games under Brent Key, if they can start the season out with that, I think Georgia Tech could be set up for a way better year than last year. And I, mean, I think the reason the Wake Forest game is so pivotal, and I'll kind of get into my big picture possible bowl game thoughts, but there are three teams that I think are going to be in a league of their own in terms of just the pit of the ACC. Like I think Virginia, Syracuse, and Boston College are, are not going to be very good this year, and I think that that's going to – they're all on Georgia Tech's schedule with two of them at home. So I guess to kind of kick start the back half of the conversation, so they go to Miami, then they have a bye week. They get two home games to end October – Boston College, which, like I said, was – I think they're going to be the worst team in the ACC this year. I know it's February, but that's my prediction right now. And then they have a home game against North Carolina. And the North Carolina game is funny because, like, you think about it, they Georgia Tech's had their number the past two years. They've beaten them two years in a row when North Carolina was ranked pretty highly, and they kind of sent them spiraling. Like, after Sam Howell and those guys lost that game a couple years ago, that, that team just was not the same. And then last year – um, North Carolina didn't win another game after they lost to Georgia Tech. So it, it's – North Carolina is going to be favoring that game. Drake May is is still going to be phenomenal. But there's at least – they know they can win that game because, like, Georgia – there's no proof we have right now that North Carolina's defense is going to be any better. The game is in Atlanta. So I, I, I do think that's a winnable game. But they're, they're going to be underdogs. I mean, I'm not – there's no point in um, arguing that. Yep. And they go to Charlottesville to face Virginia. I know that's a place Georgia Tech's not had a ton of success, but again, I, I just don't think Virginia's going to be good at all next year. Just when you look at their roster, what that they've lost some really good talent and the, the the little good talent that they had to the portal. And I just don't know that they've really replaced it all that well. Yeah. You got a road game. I, I was afraid they were going to put the Clemson and Georgia games back to back, which would just be brutal. And they almost did it, but they go to Clemson November. Syracuse at home. Yeah. In the Sy- the Syracuse game at home. And, like, I wish they played Syracuse early in the year personally because Syracuse is losing Sean Tucker. They're losing a lot of good players from that defense. And if you caught them early on, I think that's the best time to play them. But if you give them till November, I think Syracuse could develop an identity. But I also like that the game's in Atlanta because I know it's, I don't know what they call it now. It used to be called the Carrier Dome. That's a tough place to play for a lot. They, they put a lot of upsets there, and it's just a historically tough place to play. And then the rivalry game um, in Atlanta against Georgia, that's going to be that's going to be brutal. Like I, I I don't expect them to win that game, just to be honest. But I think when I look at it, the five games they have to win are South Carolina State, Bowling Green, Boston College, Virginia, and Syracuse. Yeah. If you win those five. To, like I'll just be open about it. I, I think there's no way they beat Georgia, Clemson, Ole Miss. Those are three games. I'm just not going to give them much of a chance in. Two of them are on the road. One of them's against the team going for a three-peat with as much talent as anybody in the country. They're just, they're just not ready for this right now. I just Maybe they'll surprise me. I don't know, but I just don't think so right now. Yep. That leaves it with Louisville, North Carolina, Miami, and Wake Forest. Yep. If you can pick off one of those games and win the other five, you're bowl eligible for the first time since uh, 2018. So I, that's why I say I think that Wake Forest game could just be really pivotal because you're getting a team that's losing a lot of production early on in the season. And, yes, it's in Winston-Salem. No Wake Forest probably favored, but I think that could be your best chance. Miami's just I, – I just don't – I have no – like, talent-wise, Miami has way more talent than, than Georgia Tech. But Miami playing that game at home is not a real advantage. Like, you know, I know every, like the it's a common joke to make fun of the Miami crowd, but it's just – 
unless it's a big game against somebody that, that they don't show up. So that's not going to be like a massive home field advantage for Miami. Um, Louisville, I, they they've they've had a really underrated uh, year in the portal, so I, I I think talent I think Louisville's going to be favoring that game, but it's their first game under Jeff Brom, and you know I, I'm not going to I don't think it's defense I don't think Louisville is just so much better than Georgia Tech where a win is just impossible. Although I think Louisville again will be favored, but yeah, there's a path to a bowl game I think. Yeah, and especially with and you, it's funny that you mentioned Louisville having an underrated transfer class. I think Georgia Tech has a very underrated transfer class. When you got guys like Haynes King coming in, a guy with SEC level experience. I mean, he's played against some of the toughest teams in the SEC, and you got a guy like Christian Leary, somebody that can add speed, very dynamic, somebody that can really open up that offense a little bit. I think Georgia Tech has had a very, very underrated transfer class this year, and you got some pretty key additions on defense especially at the linebacker spot. Um, I think that really sets up Georgia Tech to where they can win six games. Right now, I would probably have them at six games. Seven's a stretch, especially it's Brent Key's first year. He's going to have those growing pains, but also him coming in as an interim last year, you kind of got those first games out the way, and you got some pretty big wins out of that, North Carolina being one of those wins. So, I think that they can really, they really have a head start as far as having a first year head coach. Um, but yeah, if you can win that game against Wake Forest and that game against North Carolina, I think you could really win seven games this year. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, and I, I was going to make that point too. You know, like I was talking about how Louisville's transfer class overrated and the 247 uh, transfer rankings for the ACC, George Tech's above them. Like yeah. it's, ACC, it's Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, and then Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech is like right on North Carolina's heels there too. So and y'all don't have to play Florida State, so that's a plus. Yeah, and you're not one. You like that's one of the biggest differences from last year's schedule is Florida State's not on it, and you're basically swapping UCF for Bowling Green. Yeah. So, um, I think the schedule is still tough. Like, yeah, when you have a schedule with Georgia, Clemson, and Ole Miss on it, like that, that's tough. And then like North Carolina's probably going to be ranked, but they're they're probably on fraud alert for most of the year until proven otherwise. So, but yeah, overall, and I guess let's just give our overall thoughts on the ACC schedule. When I looked at it, we already knew the Florida State LSU game, but we're going to know how good Florida, what Florida State's playoff chances are by the end of September, because not only do they kick off with LSU just what, two, three weeks later, they travel to Clemson in a possible ACC title game preview. So I think, you know, me and you both, like Florida State going into the next year, but man, that's that's a pretty tough early slate. Yep. And I and on the flip side of that, somewhere I think that has a very easy early slate, especially those first four weeks. I think it's going to be detrimental to Miami. Miami, the only team they're going to play in those first four games is Texas A and M. We have no idea what Texas A and M is going to be either. Um, so they got Miami, Ohio. Uh, they got A&M, then they got Bethune-Cookman, then they got Temple. If they can come out of that 4-0, they have a bye week right there before Georgia Tech. Uh, if they can come out of that 4-0, it would be very interesting to see how their um, year ends up being. So Miami, Wake Forest, I'll bring them up again. I think they probably had the toughest stretch of games because, I mean, golly, at, for looking at it for face value, you got Georgia Tech, then you got a bye week, then you got Clemson at Virginia Tech. I expect them to beat Virginia Tech. Um, but then you got Pitt, Florida State, Duke. Duke is going to be Duke. But then you got NC State, and then you got Notre Dame. There's a real chance they lose three or four of those games. Like, yeah. if, if we're just being honest here. And especially whenever they got to play Sam Hartman again, I got a really, I got a bad feeling he's going to have their number. So I think Wake Forest, they're going to be in a very tough spot. Um, but if we're talking ACC game of the year, I think it's a no-brainer. It's Florida State and Clemson. I think that's that might may end up determining the ACC right there. Yeah. And like I said, like if, if Florida State can either come out of that month winning both those games, then they have a – they're going to be favored possibly by double digits in every single game rest of the way. I think – an asterisk could be if Miami shows up and plays to their talent level. I don't think that they'll be favored against Miami because it's in Tallahassee, but I don't know if it'd be by double digits. But if you split the games one and one, it's kind of okay. We can't screw up again. But if you win both of them, it's like okay, we can afford a loss and have a neutral site win against LSU, who is going to start the year in the top ten. Who knows if they finish there, but they'll start there. 
And against Clemson, who, you know, Garrett Riley's there now. They're kind of reinvigorated a little bit, trying to get back to old old Clemson. So I want to, like, does Louisville have the easiest schedule in the ACC? Because, okay, they open with Georgia Tech and Mercedes-Benz, Murray State, Indiana. I, don't ask me why that game's in Indianapolis, either neutral site. So they have two neutral site games in the first three games. That's interesting. Boston College at home at NC State on a Friday is tough. And you follow it up with a home game against Notre Dame at Pitt, bye week, Duke, Virginia Tech, Virginia, all at home at Miami and then Kentucky. I mean, I, that seems light because I mean, they're going to be, fa- they could be favored. They won't be favored at NC State, but. There's some some trap games, but I, I thought Louisville got a favorable draw there. To be honest, I I would say so. I mean, you don't have to play a Florida State, and you don't have to play a Clemson. Um, the only other the only other schedule I would put against that is maybe Pitt, but Pitt still has to play Florida State and Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their not their hardest non conference game is probably what Cincinnati. Maybe old Big East rivalry. Yeah, so I mean, outside of that, yeah, I would I would say they probably do have the easiest schedule, but also we don't know what they're going to be. I mean, because you got to think if they end up losing to Georgia Tech week one, yeah, you have Murray State, yeah, you have Indiana and Boston College, but as soon as you hit NC State, you hit the ground running. NC State, Notre Dame, and Pitt, those could very well be three losses right there. So I, mm-hmm. it really just depends on what, how Louisville can start out this season. I think that Georgia Tech game will be pivotal. But, you know, I have a ton of respect for Jeff Brom as X's and O's coach. His offenses have been elite everywhere he's been. And, you know, they don't have to play Clemson and they don't have to play Florida State. Like, that's that's huge if you're talking about it. I could easily see Louisville being 10-2 and two and being power rated like the 42nd best team in the country. Like, they're, they're not like – they'll be at like number 14 in the AP poll, but you're like, okay, they're not really top – 15 good, but their records may suggest they are. So, well, how um, do you think they end up the season? Because they got to finish out at Miami and then they got to play Kentucky. How do you think those two games will end up going for them? It's just, it's against two teams. I I have a hard time reading them. I mean, the Kentucky games at home. Yeah. Kentucky, you know, bringing back Liam Cohen as OC. Devin Leary's a QB now, um, but they're losing a lot elsewhere. So, I, that'll be a, th- that's two tough games. And it's just, I'll say it repeatedly through February, March, April, May, June, July, and August. I don't know what Miami looks like because if they make a good OC hire, they have the talent on paper to be an eight, nine win team and be pretty good. But they were terrible last year. And Miami perennially has underachieved for the better part of the last 20 years. So, you know, they're just, they're a tough team to read. And I say this is somebody that picked them to win the ACC and then got egg all over my face for it. So <laughs> I thought it was a, I still think, I still maintain after Florida State and Clemson, there's a large gap in the ACC as of right now. Somebody could emerge. And also, shout out to Duke for getting a home Labor Day game. Yeah. I did not expect that at all. They get Clemson at home on Labor Day. Probably, I think they'll probably lose that game, but still, that that'll be huge. It'll be a cool scene to see, at least. And um, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Somebody also just to bring this up, Virginia has a very uh, challenging schedule to say the least. Like they they're starting out with Tennessee, they're getting in the mix, and then two weeks later they got to play Maryland. Virginia Virginia's schedule is going to be tough, dude. I expect to drop. Maryland just because they're losing four receivers and everything. I now I think Maryland will be probably win the game if I had to pick right now. But yeah, Virginia. I think Virginia, Boston College, and Syracuse. You know, I just don't have good feels for those two. I think those are the, the three worst teams in the ACC. I think by decent margin. I think Syracuse is more. I like Dino Babers as a coach. He's a good coach, but Syracuse is just not a school where you can lose that much talent and then just well, we can get back to seven wins easy. Um, it just doesn't work that way there. So that's why I think they're they're going to have a hard time making a bowl and game. Not only that, they got to play Florida State and Clemson. But before Clemson, they're probably going to end up being in a dogfight against Army because Army is just tough to play for no that's reason. That's the thing is you're you're getting ready to play Clemson and then you have to spend time playing Army and getting <laughs> play, you got you got to play a team that runs the ball fifty times a game. So you're going to be pretty banged up after that. 
Yeah, and I, I, I'm not going to pretend in that like I know Army's outlook or the, a lot about their roster right now heading into the next year, but it'll probably be a tough game. I mean, Jeff Monken's a heck of a coach, so um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wish they hadn't took two hours to release the schedule, but the ACC schedule is here. So, you want to grade some coaches? Let's do it. So, you know, we've been talking about it for the past couple of weeks. It's a, you know, it's a cliche thing to do for every college football show and podcast, but it's at least a fun exercise to discuss um, how we felt about the first year coaches. Maybe some we were wrong about. We can maybe look back at our, our previous thoughts uh, as far as their hiring process. And I'm, I'm going to start, you know, most of these things start out with the obvious choices, the big names like Mario Cristobal or Billy Napier or what have you. I'm going to start with somebody I'm going to give an A+. Plus. And that is Mike Elko at Duke. I, I want to start there just because I know he won ACC Coach of the Year, but I still feel like when it, people talk about these first-year head coaches, they just always start with the guys that underachieved or, or things like that so they can get some one-liners in about that program or whatever. But yeah. Duke, the last two years, is somebody that follows ACC closely before he got there, just bottom of the pit. Like, they they were absolutely dreadful. I mean, they, they were just really bad. I like the hire – I'd I, be honest, I did not – I thought they were going to be the worst team in the ACC. I voted in my ACC preseason ballot, um, them as the worst team in the ACC. But they they won nine games. I mean, they did a heck of a job, and, and they they destroyed Miami. They won some big games. Um, they In that bowl game, they really – they controlled that whole game against UCF. And I was just really impressed with Elko. You know, I think if he keeps doing this, he'll obviously be mentioned for jobs elsewhere, but – a plus for me. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'll get the obvious one out of the day, out of the way. A plus, Sonny Dykes. I mean, what he was able, what he was able to do at TCU and be able to take them to a playoff and get a big playoff win against Michigan, make it to the national championship game. No matter how that national championship game ended, Sonny Dykes did the damn thing. You know what I'm saying? And that at a place like TCU and a place where you had. Texas having so much hype going into the season, Oklahoma having so much hype going into the season, Oklahoma State being what they were, Baylor, we didn't know what um, Dave Aranda was going to be. For him to be able to pull that out at TCU, very, very, very proud to see that. And I think they're going to be set up because their transfer portal class, it's it's pretty legit. Mm -hmm. So I think the next guy I would have right behind him is Lincoln Riley. I mean, Lincoln Riley, USC, they went four and eight the year before. He was able to take them to a what a Pac-12 championship game. I mean, yeah, eleven wins. That's huge, especially considering how lackluster their defense was in a Pac-12 that was pretty stacked, all things considered. Yeah, UCLA they went on a short little run there. Oregon, Utah. I think it was a very. I think the Pac-12 was substantially better than what they have been in these past couple of years. Um, I would give him an A. Um, right there in between an A minus and an A, um, but I would probably lean more towards an A just because of the improvements they made from before Lincoln Riley to Lincoln Riley's first year. And I guess out of all the the, the few coaches we've discussed so far, he was the one that did have expectations. Like I, I think I was a little lower on USC, but I said they win nine games, and I thought if they, I thought they absolutely hit their maximum ceiling. And we talked about it in our preseason episodes, like. If USC has one of the best offenses in the country, they can overcome. We knew the defense was going to be bad. Like that was one of the reasons I was down on them, and it was horrific. Like those last two games are just uh, against Utah and Tulane were bad, yeah. but they they won eleven games. They were one win away against Utah from being in the playoff, and you know, yep. USC probably moves with TCU losing. They probably move up to a three seed, and while it's unlikely, I think they could have beat Michigan. I don't think it's crazy, and then they they get just throttled by Georgia later, but. Um, like yeah, Lincoln Riley gets a. I think he was again the coach that did have the most expectation, and now it's going to be building off of that. And yeah, you know, I let off with Mike Elko getting an A plus, but Sonny Dykes is also in my A plus category. I have three coaches with A pluses, by the way. Um, and Sonny Dykes leads the pack. I mean, what he did was unbelievable. I I don't I don't give a dang about the national title result. The fact that they were picked seventh, yeah, in, in preseason poll. Not by this show, but by a lot of shows elsewhere. Um, getting to the national title game is in itself is an achievement, regardless of the result. You know, they 
they they lived they, they lived dangerously all season long. It seemed every week we thought TCU was going to lose, whether it was to Kansas or Kansas State or you know the Texas game, but they just kept on going. And then you know that game against Michigan, if Georgia and Ohio State hadn't played the game of the year just that same night, that Georgia or the TCU Michigan game might have been the best game all season. It was just a blast to watch. But um, the momentum he's got going there is is real, and I I think they're. Uh, let me ask you this, just going off this, with Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC, do you think TCU is the best posi- best team position to run the next the new Big 12? I would say so, especially coming off this first year. And then the transfers they got in, a lot of those transfers are going to be guys that has two, three more years left. Um, what they're doing in recruiting and high school recruiting right now, I would say so, um, but also – we, you know, this better than I do. The Big 12 is such an anomaly every year. There's always something that, like, there's always some team that comes out of nowhere. TCU was just that team. Baylor was the team a uh, year before that. Um, there's just always, you never know what to expect. Like, whenever you think Texas was going to be good these last couple of years, they weren't. Oklahoma, they end up losing games they shouldn't whenever Lincoln Riley was there. So the Big 12, it's so random. Any team can show up at any time. Who would have thought Kansas was going to be what they were this year? You know what I'm saying? So I would say so if I had to put my money on it. But also the Big 12, it's it's freaky. I don't know if you're ever going to have a a national title contender in that new conference, but that's going to be a fun conference to watch week in and week out. All those teams can just provide fun moments, but – I'm going to move on to the, to my third coach that I gave an A-plus to, and I, I'm sure you probably gave uh, at least an A to, is Kalen DeBoer of Washington. Yeah. Um, exceeded expectations, and we've mentioned on this show, if they hadn't lost a really strange game to Arizona State, they could have been in the Pac-12 title game against USC with whoever wins that game goes to the playoff. Michael Penix Jr. leads the nation in passing, something I, I don't think I would have believed if you – told me a million times like that was just not on my radar their offense was just dominant all year long yeah. um, and they got better down the stretch you know they beat Oregon that Washington State game I picked Washington State in the upset that game was never close like they really started performing well down the stretch beat Texas in the in the what was it the Alamo Bowl or something there's something like that yeah. um they're returning a lot of starters next year too. Like Washington is probably going to be a popular dark horse playoff pick to win in a, and to win the Big Twelve next year. Kalen DeBoer, A plus, my book. Yeah, I've what he was able to do only losing two games. It's impressive, but I wonder how good they're going to be this this second year. I think that's going to be the thing because the Pac twelve. I think the Pac twelve is going to be substantially better this year. But all in all, great first year. Another guy I'll put right there in that A category, Dan Lanning. I mean, he only lost three games this year, uh, especially after that Georgia game, losing 49-3 to to start the year. I had no clue what to expect from Dan Lanning in Oregon, but they were able to win against number 12 BYU at the time, get a big win against number 9 UCLA when we thought UCLA was hot at the time. Um, they lost to Washington, of course, but then they come back and beat Utah the very next week. I would put Dan Lanning right there uh, with Lincoln Riley, right there at that A, A-minus tier. Um, I think he's my third guy. If I'm looking at the next guy, who do you think had a better year, Marcus Freeman or Brian Kelly? Brian Kelly. I, Brian Kelly didn't lose to Marshall, and Brian Kelly didn't lose to Stanford. Like that, that it just – I know Notre Dame got better after those games. And Brian Kelly also lost to Jimbo Fisher. He also beat Alabama and got to the SEC title game. That's that to me just what what signature win did Notre Dame have besides Clemson? Like they were great in that game, but like throughout they were kind of like living and dying through a lot of that. They were non competitive against USC for the large majority of that game. They almost lost to Cal. Yeah, um, and I'm also I'm backtrack just a tad. I'm going to surprise you a little bit. I gave Dan Lanning a B plus just for the fact that I think, X, you know, their win total was at what, eight and a half, nine at the start of the year. Like it wasn't like Oregon was this big unknown. We What's Oregon going to be as far as we well, knew we that. also didn't expect Bo Nix to have the year he did. Yes, but also I can't like I know they got better down the stretch. I can't totally erase the Georgia game from my mind. And I know a lot of teams get blown out by Georgia, just being fair, but. 
that I, I don't know. I can't give a coach an A off that, and the fact that he he royally blew that game against Washington. There were some calls late in that game, fourth down decisions and stuff that, that were just weird. And then blowing a what was it thirty to thirteen lead against my Beavers at the end of, at the end of that game, and then like North Carolina kind of gave that surviving game. North Carolina. Yeah, even it didn't clear, like I, I don't, we not, we're not including recruiting in this, but if you did, I'd probably give him an A because he's been great on the recruiting trail. Closing yeah. up the 2023 class, but I just I think relative to expectations, I think he met them. I don't think he exceeded them in any way. And I think you know we had Oregon as a possible playoff contender, and they faded down the stretch and didn't play as well. So I, I give him a B plus. He has a good first year, but there were some missteps. I think he had the other coaches didn't. Well, um, I totally get what you're saying about that Georgia game, but also if you hold that Georgia game against. Dan Lanning, you got to hold it against Sonny Dykes. I can't hold that against Sonny Dykes because they made it to a national championship. They went undefeated in the regular season. But also they did lose against Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game, and then they got blown out even worse than Oregon did against Georgia. So I can't hold that against Dan Lanning if I didn't hold it against Sonny Dykes. Um so that's why I think I'll teeter right there more towards the A minus A tier. But I totally get what you're saying. But let me ask you this. Based off their first years, because I think both of these coaches, I don't think they had the highest of expectations, but they surely didn't meet the expectations they had. So moving forward, who do you think ends up having more success, Brent Venables at Oklahoma or Billy Napier at Florida? Brent Venables, just because he landed a great recruiting class. He has his quarterback of the future, and I think the very near future. Like I think Jackson Arnold could be that. He dude. could be day one. Yes. Yeah. He's very good. That Oklahoma going to the SEC is going to make – I'm trying to factor that in a that's, little bit. That's the you know, only thing holding me back from Brent Venables is but, them going to the SEC. But can they be as good as Florida is now? Because, like, Florida, Grant Mertz is going to start for Florida this year. Unless – I'll say unless – uh, some big time quarterback gets in the portal in May when the next transfer window comes open and Florida needs to be laying out whatever <laughs> money they have to get a quarterback. Cause if, if Graham Mertz is a starter for the whole year, Ooh, I think there's a chance they miss a bowl game, but just back to your original question. I, I, I think Venables just because I think I still think of him as a very good defensive coach. I think talent wins out overall. I think Oklahoma is going to bounce back. If they keep Jeff Levy from going to Alabama, um, you know, you have continuity on that coaching staff. I, I would say Venables, but the move to the SEC does complicate that a little bit. But there's there's no good vibes around Napier at all right now. Yeah, I would agree. But also, it's it's not just the fact that Oklahoma's moving to the SEC; they're still going to have to play Texas, and they got smoked forty nine to nothing against Texas. You know what I'm saying? So if they're doing that against Texas, what happens when they got to play an Ole Miss? In Arkansas, they got to play a Tennessee. Like, wh- what happens? You know, like, that's not even counting Alabama or Georgia or an LSU. I don't know how they're going to survive. But also, with that being said, Billy Napier just lost to Vanderbilt in his first year. It's granted, it's your first year. It's still Vanderbilt. Florida should never lose to Vanderbilt. They should care. never lose to Vanderbilt. But also, Oklahoma losing to Texas Tech. They of course they lost to Florida State. It was a close game for the most part, but losing to uh, Florida State, uh, losing to West Virginia this year, it just wasn't a good look for me. And I would say that that Florida and Billy Napier they had a tougher schedule than Oklahoma did, um, mm-hmm. having to play a Georgia, having to play an A and M, having to play a LSU. I would say that is a tougher schedule than what Oklahoma had to deal with. I would say Billy Napier moving forward because I think Billy Napier, I think he's going to pick it up a little bit more in recruiting. Um, and it's just, I don't know. There's just something about Brent Venables that's holding me back from really being able to buy into him. Like I think Sark has a lot more success in the SEC at Texas than Brent Venables does at Oklahoma. But with that being said, this it's Florida. Like they're a renowned, they're, they're a prestigious SEC team. And I think it's going to take a couple years, but I think Billy Napier can really make it into something. Um, so I don't know. It's it's going to be tricky watching both of them. But if I had to choose, I would probably choose Billy Napier in Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's 
don't give it as a, I'm just totally endorsing Brent Venables because I still have my doubts about him, but they, there's just no reason to have faith in Napier right now from an yeah. on-field standpoint or from a – you know, he missed out on so many recruiting battles, whether it was Rashada, Cormani, McLean, all those. Like, he just – he lost a ton this year. So, yeah. um, we'll take a quick break um, and we'll come back and kind of give – you know, we've still got some – I have some Fs. I need to give out, and I've still got – and I have a couple of coaches that were underrated we haven't talked about yet, but um, I wanted to make sure we have plenty of time. So we'll come back after a quick break and discuss those on the other side. Welcome back to the Go On Stand podcast. Took a quick break there. We're going to continue on with our coaching grades. That is Kobe Reed. This is Jackson Caldwell. We left off, so I, ha- I have some some bad grades to give and some some decent ones to give out. I'll, I'll start with uh, two coaches I do think deserve a mention as having good years. Joey, Joey McGuire at Texas Tech and Jake Dickert at Washington State. Both of them, I think, exceeded my expectations. I kind of, I, I didn't really, Washington State was a hard read for me this year, but they were, to me, these teams are similar in that they were not elite, but they were like, you didn't like playing them week in and week out. Like teams did not like to see Washington State on the schedule in the Pac-12 because their defense was pretty solid. And Cam Ward was a little erratic this year. He's he's really talented, but he, he's not consistent. But if he put puts it all together one game, like you could be in trouble. Like they they really gave some teams run for their money. Um, same thing with Texas Tech. You know, they had a, a little bit fluky, but they did beat Texas, and they were just they were in a lot of games this year, and and both made bowl games. So I, I just wanted to at least shout them out. Uh, I don't know if you got any thoughts on those two before we move to some coaches that give the thumbs down. Um. Just looking at Washington State, their biggest win being Wisconsin in week two of the year, and Wisconsin really didn't end up being much. Um, They lost in their bowl game against Fresno. They lost against Washington, of course. It was – I didn't have the highest expectations for them going into the season, but also I feel like – like you said, they were a tough team to play because they only lost by four against Utah. Um, they were able to hold Oregon State to only 24 points whenever our Oregon State at the time, they were high flying. They were in a groove. They made a good run in the middle of the season. Um, so Washington State, I would I w- I w- I w- put them right there in that B-minus tier under their yeah. first year. You know what I'm saying? That's probably like, I had it as a B. So. Yeah, like it wasn't bad, but also they also didn't have the highest expectations going into the season. So I'm not going to hold that against them for being middle of the pack in the Pac-12. Um, as far as Texas Tech, they had a they had some good wins, but also it's Texas Tech. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, it was very fluky. They had that win against Texas. I mean, they but they lost to TCU, lost to Oklahoma State, lost to Kansas State. Um, had a huge overtime win against Houston in week two. I think that was probably one of the more fun games to watch. And they ended up beating Ole Miss in their bowl game. So I, I would put that right there at that B tier. They didn't beat Ole Miss. They beat down Ole Miss. <laughs> yeah. <I think laughs> um, here, here's a fun coach to discuss. We kind of mentioned him briefly, but Marcus Freeman, he could not have had a worse start to the season. Um we both expected him to lose to Ohio State. It, he he kept the game close, but I don't think we ever thought Notre Dame was really going to win that game, no matter how close it was. Yep. And had a disastrous loss to Marshall, who wound up not being very good this year. Flirted with losing to Cal, and then a few weeks later would lose to Stanford. Stanford. Just a horrendous Stanford team. Yeah. Um, but would pick it up towards the end of the day. They started playing good football. Um, they obviously had the blowout win against Clemson. Uh, you know, they they weren't very competitive in that game against USC, but that you could tell they were a, a, a more improved football team. Yeah. And obviously getting Sam Hartman coming into the year um, it is going to be huge for them. But I said C-plus just because aside from the Clemson win, I just don't remember being all that impressed with Notre Dame, even though they were beating teams. Like, it, I just – you know, beat North Carolina didn't hold the same weight towards the end of the year because North Carolina started losing a lot of games. Yeah. Um. So I I said C plus for Marcus Freeman. I think he's got momentum in recruiting. He had a pretty good recruiting class, and then getting Hartman's huge for hopes for a big bounce back next year. Yeah, I will put I'll put him right there at B minus simply because they beat a 
number 16 ranked BYU at the time, uh, be a number 16 ranked Syracuse at the time, and then had a big blowout win against Clemson. And then a very, very tough fought bowl game against South Carolina that they ended up winning. Um, I'll put them right there at that B minus spot, uh, because I think even though the beginning of their season started very rough, I mean, I think that, that loss to Marshall is Nah, it, it's close to being as bad as Miami losing to Middle Tennessee. Uh, like that's just something you don't. That's something you don't expect, especially a prestigious school program like Notre Dame. You wouldn't expect them to lose a game like that. But yeah, being able to get wins against North Carolina, BYU, Syracuse, Clemson, and South Carolina, um, I think that at least calls for a little bit of credit. I, I would put Marcus Freeman right there at that C or that uh, B minus tier. So as far as Power Five goes, you know, I want to get to the the three coaches who I thought did the worst. And I'll start with Billy Napier because I was going to give him an F, but I'm not include like I said with um uh you know, I was saying to somebody about recruiting and I, I would give Dan Lanning, I would give him an A if he if you could in factor in recruitment. We're just going on on field results. So I'm not going to count that against Napier. He did win the game against Utah. That bumps him up to a D, in my opinion. He was very close to getting an F, but he did beat Utah. He was competitive in some games. Like that Florida State game, like they had some chances there. They, it they, was 45-38, you know, like it was a rough was, game. And same thing with LSU is they their defense was terrible for a lot of the year, and losing to Vanderbilt is is not very good, and just losing some of those other games, like it was just, just – eh. But Nate Napier, you know, just on, based on on-field results, I, I – for the some of the wins he did get, I'll give him a D. I don't know if you got any more thoughts on him. I, I'm I'm giving him an F. <laughs> I, I can't like and my like, like I said, anything? I like huh? The Utah win doesn't do anything for you. Not when you lose to Vanderbilt. <laughs> I mean, like honestly, like when you lose to Vanderbilt, that just like nullifies everything and I, like I said I, I really like Billy Napier moving forward and what he can do at Florida I think it's going to take a couple years but if they can invest in him and give him the reins to the program um, I think he could really make some big things happen but this first year man nobody thought that you replace Dan Mullen a subpar head coach with Billy Napier who had some very high expectations like we were thinking Billy Napier was going to be up above probably Brian Kelly as first year head coaches go and you end up losing to Vanderbilt. You lose your last three games. I mean, and don't get me wrong, Florida State and Oregon State, those are two very tough teams. And you play Oregon State without your number one quarterback. Um, but also, you go back and look, you lose to Vanderbilt. They were in a dogfight with South Florida. I don't think a lot of people remember that. They lost to Kentucky, and then they end up only beating South Florida 31-28. to um, It's just hard for me to sit here and give any type of credit to that season because yeah, the Utah win, it came down to the last play of the game type deal. Um, but you go and lose the Vanderbilt and then end the season very poorly. Um, yeah, I, I just can't give much credit to his first year efforts. Well, I've got two first year coaches that get an F and one of them should be painfully obvious. Mario Cristobal in every which way on field results wise deserves an F like that. There is, I don't think there's one thing I can point to in Miami season that I can look back upon and say, that was a good moment for them. You know, they, Bethune Cookman win, whatever they, they were trailing at halftime or they, I, it was only like they were had a very tough first half against Southern Miz. And that's when I kind of started raising my eyebrows and like, okay, something wrong here. And then I was like, I just, Tossed it aside. Oh, they're getting ready for A&M. They don't care about this game. Lost to A&M. I didn't think that was bad at the time, but that was too – I don't know what that – looking back on it, that was an awful game. Um, and then just disaster struck. The Middle Tennessee – it's not even a loss. That game was a ass-kicking like that. Miami yeah. got drilled in that game. And then, you know, lost a close game to North Carolina. You know, they barely beat a t the worst Virginia Tech team of my lifetime. They did beat Georgia Tech after Zach Pyron gets injured. Um, Still got smoked by Duke. Like, well, Yeah, eight turnovers in that game. Yeah. They were – I watched that Florida State year, the first half of that Florida State game. That game was over when it was kicked off. And they had zero, zero interest in being in that game against Pitt. Yep. So, again, if we factored in recruiting results, he probably gets bumped up to a C. 
but we're not. So he gets an F because there's not one moment on that Miami schedule. And maybe the, 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 even in their win, they had a really sad moment when they beat Virginia and they didn't even score a touchdown. Yeah. So they, they kicked field goals and had two point conversions like, in that. It takes point. four overtimes to beat Virginia. That, that, that speaks volumes. And again, just a, a bad Virginia team at that too. So yeah. F, F all the way around. I picked them to win the ACC. F, F. Yeah. Because like going into the year, I really thought Miami was going to be in that upper echelon in the ACC. Of course, you had Florida State, Clemson. We thought North Carolina was going to be up there. Um, and I thought Miami was going to be right there in the mix. Now, it was very apparent after week three, week four, that that wasn't going to happen. But with that being said, Mario Cristobal, it's his first year. The recruiting he just got done with, I think that Miami could be set up for – at least a little bit more success in the future, but I don't know what their identity is. I don't even think they know what their identity is, but after this first year, I would agree with you. I think I'd have to give him an F. Well, they don't have an offensive coordinator yet, so that's also an issue. Uh, hey, Bama doesn't have any coordinators, but, you know, I, I you know. Yeah, Miami, Alabama, same thing. So um, <laughs> my other coach that gets an F, and this is a coach I, I like. I think he's a good coach. But Brent Pryor, Virginia Tech, I mean, there's no ways to cut it. That that team was terrible all season long. Um, <laughs> offensively, challenging is the word I would put for them, and that's being polite about it. Like, they were very offensively challenged. That that There was just nothing about that team that was exciting offensively. They had some decent – their defense wasn't terrible. It, it just wasn't – when you have an offense that bad, you know, you, you really need to have – you need to be Iowa-level defense, and they're not. Like, Iowa can get away with being that bad on offense. Virginia Tech can't, so – F. I don't really have a lot more to say about that. I think I do like some of the portal additions that they've made, but you know, first year F. Yeah, I would agree with you. And like for as much as we dragged North Carolina's defense this year, you're only able to put up ten points on that North yeah. Carolina defense. Offensively like, challenged. <laughs> yeah. So in losing to what losing to Old Dominion, your first game of the season. It just it wasn't the best year. I, I agree with you. It's F. Um, so I won't go in depth with every group of five coach because you know this would take for forever. But I do want to highlight some guys. I would give an A. Um, John Summerall at Troy, twelve and two, okay. and it could have been better than that. Like it, you know, they lost one of their losses was on a hail mary to a, a, what wound up being a bad App State team. Um, they 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 could have very easily won that game, and you know they 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 weren't. Really competitive against Ole Miss, but you know that that we joke about it, but that was probably Ole Miss' best win of the season. I mean they they finished the year on a tear. They beat UTSA in, in a really hopped up bowl game. So I just wanted to shout out John Summerall at Troy, and then yeah. another one in one of one of if not maybe the toughest job in the country, New Mexico State and Jerry Kill. Look, I know they had to play my former employer, Valparaiso University, to get to a bowl game in a, in a scheduled game after – I don't know who flaked on them and, and couldn't play a game, but they got to the bowl game and then they won it. They, they, they're they 7-6 and six and, like, nobody – New Mexico State is – they never win. Like, they that that is a – that is a bottomless pit team. And, like, that – I just – I think they, you know, deserve some recognition. Um some other coaches, I think that that did a decent job at the group of five level. I think Jeff Tedford, his it's not his first year at Fresno State; it's his first year back at Fresno State in another stint there. Went ten and four. I think that was real. I think compared to expectations, you know, I think New Mexico State obviously exceeded. I think Troy exceeded because I think they were a legitimate top twenty team by the end of the day. Troy was really good at the end yeah. of the year. Um, if if Jake Hayner doesn't get hurt, I think Fresno State may finish with a better record, but I thought Jeff Tedford did a really good job. Um I don't really have any more group of five. Like there's just just some some duds. I think Rhett Lashley at SMU had moments where you thought, okay, this can be a good program. They brought in a really good transfer class, so it, going forward, I think that's a that's a coach to keep an eye on. But first year, it's just man, I C C minus. Uh, you got any any group of five thoughts or you know anything more on this power five coach we talked about? I mean, yeah, clearly the most notable most notable group of five team, Troy. What they were able to do, the stretch they were able to go on this year, it was more than impressive to say the least. Also, shout out 
Troy quarterback Gunnar Watson, four seven eight product. Got to show love to my guy. But they were able to get a big bowl game, uh, bowl game win against UTSA, and I think that was probably one of the more interesting bowl games. Um, but yeah, I think Troy was by far the most impressive Group of Five team this year. Um, of course, Tulane they had their stretch. Um, and I hate that Troy ended up losing to App State, especially how poorly App State played this year. If they were able to do that and only have one loss this year, I think that could have that was like one of the only things that could have elevated this season. But yeah, uh, Troy, the season they had on their first year, I think is more than impressive to say the least. So I know we talked about it pre-show. I do want to highlight some second-year coaches and just kind of give some some brief thoughts. And, you know, I want to start with just one that, you know, we'll we'll have to give a ton of thought to and we'll probably have to use up the rest of our time to discuss. What what you think about Brian Harson at Auburn, um, second-year coach? I mean, what what did you think about that? Oh, God. I, why, why are you doing this to me? Like this this is bait. For everybody listening, this is bait. This is Jackson being Jackson, and he knows I'm going to say something just off the wall probably inappropriate that I shouldn't say. But no, Brian Harson. if I'm being completely honest with you while we're on the topic, I feel bad for him more than I felt bad for any coach at any Power 5 school. Uh, just the Auburn program as a whole outside of that head coaching spot just isn't a place you want to be. Um, I'm, I don't know what to think of Hugh Freeze because here's the thing. The same problems that Brian Harson is going to have, Hugh Freeze is going to have. And I do think Hugh Freeze is a better football coach than Brian Harson. Um, but you're going to have a lot of outside noise simply because of the profile of Hugh Freeze. And then you got to deal with boosters, donors, everything else, all the other problems that even goes back to Gus Malzahn. Yeah. I feel bad for Brian Harson. I'm not spending any time on this. It's an F. He's fired. I just I had to throw that. <laughs> I, I want to highlight a couple of coaches that I do think get A pluses. And this is again, this is so far, and I also great on a scale relative to expectations. Josh Heupel gets an A plus. I when he was hired, I thought this was just you know the sanctions were about to come down. Jamie Pridge just been fired. Josh Heupel can put up a lot of points. We'll we'll use him for a few years. Once we get past the sanctions, we'll move on from him and and go spend big money on a coach. And Tennessee will be back. Man, Josh Heupel said screw that, and he is gone. They were a playoff contender for a lot of last year. You know, after the win against Alabama, you know they did have that. They they kind of wet the bed in November. You know, had the the terrible game against Georgia where they were non competitive. And the South Carolina game was just a disaster. Hendon Hooker got hurt, but they were already getting blown out. So, but again, 11 and two, Orange Bowl win. They just landed, in my mind, the best high school football player in the country. So, top 10 recruiting class like Josh Hypo, I think he's exceeded every expectation I've had. Yeah. I, I would agree with you. I think I had Tennessee slated at eight wins, maybe nine, and they succeeded that. I hated that one, Hendon Hooker not even being invited to New York. Screw the injury, screw it. That's just a travesty. Um, but yeah, just the downfall at the end of their season, I would have to give him an A simply because that South Carolina game really spoke volumes to me. And that'll move, that'll move me to my next coach, Shane Beamer. I'll give Shane Beamer an A minus. I really do. They pulled out, they pulled off eight wins and they were able to beat number eight Clemson and they blew out a number five Tennessee. Um, I don't think anybody expected that to happen in any reality, if we're being honest with you, especially like this is the same Georgia uh, South Carolina team that honestly really struggled against Georgia State to begin the year. Um, they lost to Arkansas, of course, they lost to Georgia, um, but they came back and beat Kentucky. They beat A&M. They lost to Florida. They lost to Missouri, which doesn't look good at all, but they were able to do something Florida didn't do, and that's beat Vanderbilt. So, and then they come back and beat Tennessee and Clemson. I think those Tennessee and Clemson games kind of inflates my grade for Shane Beamer's second year. But just the caliber of those games and the fashion they won the game, especially against Tennessee, I'd give him probably an A minus. I would give him a B plus. He really saved himself with the stretch to close the year. My only thing is, yes, they exceeded my expectations in his first year winning seven games. Like, I hate doing this to people that win, but, like, a lot of their wins, like, you, you look – were they a seven-win team on, in reality? No, I don't think so. I think they really overplayed their hand a lot. Um, they they played – they, I thought, got really lucky his first year. Not, And I'm not trying to take anything away from them. And then this year, you know, like you said, you know, they were – they almost lost to Georgia State. 
I'm not going to totally hold the Georgia thing, but I mean, that game was over when it kicked off. Yeah. Um, they were just very mad for a lot of the year. And then they just, I don't know what happened. They flipped a switch that I, I, I don't know that I've really seen a team do that at the end of the year like they have. Um, and if they hadn't had so many portal additions, they may have beat Notre Dame probably, I, I would assume. So they're going to be a, a, a team to watch out for this year. You know, obviously they, they're doing really well in the recruiting trail. Beamers, I, I thought I, I didn't know what to make of him when he was hired, but I say B plus just for the fact is I don't think they've been just consistent from start to finish. Um, another coach I gave an A was a coach I've liked really since this year. We've loved him all year, and again, this is more of a relative to expectations thing. But it's Lance Leipold. I I, just, I don't know how you could give him anything less than an A. Kansas is the joke of college football for the last ten fifteen years. They hadn't won more than three games I think since two thousand eight. Comes in and yeah, they went two and ten that last year, but they did beat Texas to to end his first year. They almost beat Oklahoma, TCU, and West Virginia. Like that, like they you could kind of see the seeds for how this year turned out at the end of his first year. Like they were really competitive in every game. Yeah. Started out five and zero, oh, and I know they fizzled out down the stretch. But again, let's remember this is Kansas. Like this is they succeeded all expectations probably by a great bowl game. <laughs> yeah, their I mean, win total was at two and a half. And they, they only get, lost to Arkansas by two points in three overtimes. And that's then, that's saying something. With a better play call, and they probably win that game. But I'm not going to get into schematics here. But yeah. Lance Leipold is another coach. I just think again, relative to expectations, it's a no-brainer A for me. Um, you know, just looking through through some of these other coaches. Here, here's kind of maybe a, a tough. One. I don't know how tough it is. Steve Sarkeesian, he gets a C minus for me. <sighs> I'm going to give Sart the benefit of the doubt simply because of the Quinn Ewers injury and also the uh, – is it Isaiah Nayer, the wide receiver? That injury – because I think Sark is one of the best offensive minds in college football, but whenever you don't have your quarterback, you don't have one of your best wide receivers. Yeah, you got Bijan, you have Xavier Worthy, but the offensive line is still piss poor, and that defense was very fluky throughout the season. Like, there were some games where, like, against Alabama, they were spot-on physical, and then there's games like Texas Tech, you know what I'm saying? So, I – You know one thing you haven't mentioned yet? What is that? They were 5-7 and seven his first year and lost to Kansas. That's where the – like, if you're grading them just off this year, I think it's – B B plus because I like I've I've said also that Texas Tech loss was fluky. Who knows what happens with viewers healthy against Alabama? Yeah. But that first year, I don't know. It's just hard to rate. Like that first year was really bad. Like and like well, also, know, what did he inherit at Texas? Let's be real here. They, but you should not be five and seven at Texas. I, I know that I'm not saying they should have made the playoff, but there there should just be no reason you're five and seven and losing to a, a bad Kansas team. Yeah. That's fair. Giving up 50-plus points against Kansas at that. So, Sark gets a state for me. They got their get back in year two. They won 55-14. to 14. They they had that game circled on their schedule for sure. So, uh, here's a, the, the only two power five coaches we haven't talked about in their second year, Brett Bielema at Illinois and Jed Fish at Arizona. Bielema, I, I'm close to giving an A. I probably wouldn't because they did kind of fade down the stretch this year. But, you know, they won five games his first year after, you know, being a kind of a dumpster fire under Lovey Smith and just going back really since Ron Zook took him to the Rose Bowl in 2007, for those of y'all that remember that. Um, but they bounced back, had one of the best defense in the country. Devon Witherspoon's going to be a first-round pick. I think he's really good um, in, in the NFL this year. I'd say B, B, B minus. I because that first year you did have a lot of losses, you know, five and seven. But they had that. I don't know if you remember the Penn State game where it was it like nine overtimes, yeah, and just a sad state of affairs. And then Jed Fish, you know, he again, Kevin Sumlin lit that place on fire. That place was a disaster when he got there. One and eleven his first year in some close games. Took it up to five wins this year, so I, I think relative to expectations, of maybe a similar grade, B minus B for Jed Fish. Um, I don't know if you got any thoughts on those two. Um, I would agree with you. Uh, teetering on the A minus, probably more of a B plus. Just like you said, they fizzled out at the end of the year. Um, I was curious to ask you this though: what, what's your grade on Gus Malzahn in his second year at UCF? I was literally going to ask you that. Um, B. B plus maybe like they've been good, but 
what have they done that's, I guess, noteworthy? Yeah. Like, what win do they have where you're like, man, Gus Malzahn and UCF are really good. Like they look good at times, like, but they, they're not like they really, that first year, I do think sort of have to grade on a curve a little bit because Dylan Gabriel did get hurt early in the year and they, you know, they didn't have John Reese Plumley then, you know, he had, had to go to Mikey Keene and he, he's fine. Uh, but this year, I, I, I thought they were overrated all year. Like they did have the two lane win, but I thought they kind of, Louisville. Well, they had the Cincinnati and Tulane wins. I think at the time they were notable. Those were ranked wins. So I guess it, like I didn't have a high opinion of Cincinnati all year. Yeah, it's like they, Cincinnati was a team that yeah they had like what nine wins on paper. I never felt they were that good. Like I never thought Cincinnati, and, and that's not and it's more of a testament to Luke Fickle losing nine draft picks to the NFL and still being able to, to string together wins with a less talented team, but. Yeah. Like I think Gus Malzahn's been good, but like I, I, I would not call it great or even really good. Like I think he's been fine. If he hadn't had some injuries in year one, I think he'd have a more complete picture. Yeah, but also it's UCF, and for him to be able to pull out nine wins in his second year, I'd put him right there somewhere in that B tier. I have, I have good expectations for UCF. The thing is, I don't view that as a program that should really be dipping a lot. Like, yeah, occasionally maybe if you lose a lot of stars, you get down to six or seven wins, but. Got, they they spend a lot of money on football. I'm not talking like Alabama, Georgia money, but relative to group of five or lower power five teams, they spend a lot. Yeah, and they, they have expectations down there. Like it, it's that they expect to win games, and like I don't know how they'll fare in the Big Twelve, but it'll it'll be interesting to watch. Like Gus Malzahn to me is like fits a Big Twelve coach. Like I, I don't know, like he just uh, Gus Malzahn just is a Big Twelve coach. Like he just fits in. You got any? You got any more? Th- I'll shout out one more group of five coach, Kane Womack at South Alabama. He's done an excellent job. They were a good team this year. They won nine or ten games, and they almost beat UCLA. So I just at least wanted to shout him out. I think he's. I think he'll be a power five coach at some point. Um, well, what do you think about Charles Huff at Marshall? I think he's been overrated. Like I, they've been good, but like okay, when people think when they ask, okay, was Marshall has they've been good in Charles Huff? Oh, they beat Notre Dame. That's all they remember, and they don't remember that Marshall just absolutely fell apart down the stretch, and their offenses have been really bad uh, the first couple of years. Their defenses have been good, um, and I think they've done a, a decent job recruiting and in the portal, but I think he's been pretty overrated since he's been there, to be honest. Yeah, and, I mean, you go back and look at their schedule. Lose, of course, they lost to Troy. Troy was the best group of five team, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. But losing to James Madison – losing to Old Dominion, losing to App State at the end of the year when App State struggled all year. You lose to Georgia Southern and you lose to Georgia State. Then you lose to UConn in your bowl game. Uh, I would probably put him more at – I wouldn't give him an F, but probably Wait, more. did they lose to UConn? Yeah, in the bowl game. I forgot all about that. Yeah, lost 28-14. Ugh. Hey, shout out Jim Moore. That, I, uh, that, that's oh, no, 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 no. I'm looking at this totally different. I was about, I was about to my say. Bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. He won, he won those games. That is on me. I'm looking at this schedule totally opposite. Let's say you're out here spreading fake news. You're going to have Marshall, Marshall fans at your doorstep. I know. Randy Moss is going to be calling me out. Yeah, Chad Pennington. You know, <laughs> Byron left. Byron left was a job right now. He's going to be on you as, as well. Like, that's just, <laughs> that's on me. That that that's what we expect from the TNT podcast. We don't do that here on the Goal Line. <laughs> we 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 know ball here at the Goal Line Sam podcast. So. I know. I had a, I had a Tyler Layfield blunder there. That's on me. Unacceptable. But anyway, <laughs> I would. Before we wrap this up, I can't believe I first year coaches we've got mentioned Jim Moore Jr. A plus again just relative oh. expectations like he got to a bowl game at UConn. Yeah, I agree. What, what more do you want? <laughs> what more could you ask for at UConn? Honestly, and it was especially you know they started the season off kind of like sad like they they just did not start off well they they beat Liberty after Hugh Freeze decided he was going to go to Auburn but hadn't gone to Auburn yet. Yeah. So, but anyway, I just Jim Moore Jr. deserves a shout out, uh, Falcons legend. Um, you got any more uh, thoughts? You know, we, it's you know it's February, so I don't know if you have a ton of thoughts. But Alabama coordinator search is going on. Yeah, I guess I'll touch on that real quick. Still, no coordinators out there. 
Saban's hiring or he's interviewing a lot of guys, but he hasn't pulled the trigger on any of them yet. From what I can tell, there's a lot of people asking Saban for a lot of money. Players, coaches, doesn't matter. And Saban is showing them the door. Literally, he's telling players that. I'm sure he's telling coaches the same thing. As a Bama fan, that makes me very excited. But also, I'm getting kind of worried because we're running out of candidates here. So I'm sure going into the spring, the summer, there's going to be some name that pops up that I feel like is going to shock the world. But knowing Saban, I know he's going to end up making the right choice. I got, I got a suggestion for you if you want to hear it. Let me hear it. He, he coached under Nick Saban. I, I don't remember when, but he did. He's a former NFL genius, and he's a current analyst as well. Jason Garrett, you know, if, if you want to hire a, a, an offensive mastermind, I, I cannot think of the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. The who? Dallas Cowboys. It, nah, um, you know, it, it it doesn't tickle my fancy. I'm not I'm not a big fan. We'll see. He might come around on it. <laughs> anyway, um, if it's not Joe, if it's not Joe Brady, I don't want it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I won't give you that NFL coach. I'll give you another former NFL coach, but um. Yeah, this has been fun. It's a really in-depth episode, but we're going to get out of here until next week. Um, you know, go follow, go follow us on social media at Kobe Reed, Jackson Caldwell. Go check out uh, all your Georgia Tech news at all Yellow Jackets. Baseball season's almost here. It's I, I know basketball season is not going the way we planned. But, Tide uh, hoops, baby. Yes, sir. Tide hoops, too. Um, Georgia Tech hoops is going on. That's all we had to Um it's that season's going on. Um but yeah, softball and baseball right around the corner. Those, those teams are gonna be pretty good this year, so go check that out. That is it for us here on the Go Last Man. That is Kobe Reed. This is Jackson. Thank you.